Welcome to Meeting with God. Meeting with God is the radio preaching ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus. We're at the beginning of a brand new series called By the Finger of God. And today we're going to listen to the first part of a message called God Wants Me to Pray Like That. Let's learn to pray together from Luke chapter 11. Well, I am very excited to go into a new series with you that we're going to be in for the next uh, few weeks, and it's called By the Finger of God. That's, that's a quote right out of uh, Luke chapter 11. Why don't you uh, open your Bible with me to Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. As we're doing that, the, the question I want to put before us as we begin this study is, would you say, could you say that your life is defined or is observably impacted by the finger of God. Now, you remember two weeks ago, we were looking at Exodus when it was referencing two verses about the finger of God. Moses was trying to get the people out of Egypt, and then God began these amazing miracles, also called the 10 plagues, and the Egyptian magicians could copy some of them, but then the fourth plague happened, and they turned to Pharaoh, and their magical, dark, demonic, spiritual arts wouldn't reproduce what God had done, and they turned to Pharaoh, and they said, this is the finger of God. Then later on, if you go in Exodus, you remember when God himself wrote on the uh, tablets and really gave Moses two sets of the Ten Commandments written by God himself. The finger of God in the words of God. And those two defining features, the presence of God, the power of God, and then the word of God became the defining trajectory for the people of God all the way to this day. And during the time of Jesus, the people were saying, what is, who is this guy? He's, he's doing these miracles. He's restoring people's sight. He's healing people. He's, some, this guy is different. And when he preaches, he doesn't preach as one giving opinions. He preaches with authority. Who is this guy? In fact, really, the whole book of Luke is answering the question, who is Jesus? To a Gentile audience. And now as we're looking at these verses, this chapter, this very thought of the finger of God is going to be presented. And really, this whole chapter is beginning to walk us through. Uh, is my life, when people look at me, do they see the finger of God? Do they see me in God's word, loving God's word, but in a different sense? And this may be what shatters uh, your preconceptions or begins to change the way you think the most. Does the supernatural presence of God through my life, is it evident to the people around me that God, the God of the universe, is present in that person and what they do and through their prayers? And I believe that God wants to be working in and through each one of us. I believe that we are called to be not only the people of God, but the people of God in such a way that the finger of God is present. Let's go to uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 1. We're going to begin reading. The title of the message this morning is, God wants me to pray like that? I'll just tell you, this week has rattled my prayer life, maybe more than any other week that I've studied prayer. I'm hoping that it's going to rattle your prayer life a little bit too in a really great way. Let's begin reading chapter 11. Now it says, Jesus was praying in a certain place. One of the amazing things about Jesus' life, he is the second person of the Trinity. How many of us would say he probably had a direct line to God? Okay, He had the bat phone, and yet he set aside extended time 
to connect with the heavenly father, the first person of the Trinity in prayer. I don't think it was that he had to pray, although I think what he was longing for was more relationship while setting an example for his disciples. This is how you live a spirit-empowered life. This is how you live as the people of God. And he modeled that. Jesus didn't just talk about praying. His life modeled prayer. It says, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples. Before we get into what actually we are to pray, I think it's good for us to note of the disciples' humility. And perhaps even as we're coming to this topic, you look at, oh, well, you could read ahead. If you're cheating and reading ahead, you could discover that we're going to be talking about prayer. For some of us, are like, we've been talking about prayer. We talk a lot about prayer at this church. I kind of got that thing down. Pastor, can we talk about something that would just kind of like, you know, be different that I haven't really, like, can we go to Revelation and talk when Jesus is coming back? Haven't you figured that out yet? I mean, come on, can we get on? I would say more than anything else, prayer is perhaps the most revealing characteristic of a believer's life. We say we believe a lot of things about God. We believe that he's running the universe, that he's all-powerful, that he's gracious, that he's loving, that he's relational. Well, how you pray is what you really believe. And when the disciples, when they were observing Jesus' life, they had a humility, they had a desire, they had a hunger to say, teach us how to pray. Teach us, Master, teach us. Now, lots of uh, disciples asked their rabbis about prayer. That wasn't unusual. However, in this case, I think uh, the disciples had observed Jesus' life, and they knew not only that Jesus could think up some good thoughts, come up with a good outline on prayer, they knew that he had a relationship with the Heavenly Father that was unique, and they longed to be a part of that. Now, can I ask you a question? What are the top three things that you've ever been taught about prayer? Like, if you were to Think back into your life over the last five years, 10 years, 20 years, and you were to, if you were to be your turn to preach, I mean, I had, I had peak discipleship. I'm, I'm almost at the done of my message already, and I was thinking about drawing some of you up here to come up. If you were going to be invited up here to preach on prayer on short notice, and you had to think of the three things that you have learned that have been most impactful in your life on prayer, what would they be? Maybe it was a teacher, Sunday school teacher years ago. Maybe it was someone in your a college small group or someone who taught you something about prayer. And I, I would ask you, what are those three things? If you hope you're thinking about that even right now, what are the three things about prayer that have been most impactful in your life? Because then I want to go to another question. Do you think that 20 years from now, those will still be in the top three? Maybe, maybe not. And I believe that as I, as your pastor, am growing in my walk with the Lord, as you, as we are growing together in our walk with the Lord, prayer is going to be one of the most defining areas we ought to be growing. And I, I would call you over the next few weeks as we're looking at this text to begin to ask the Lord, Lord, teach me afresh to pray. Don't let my life be defined by what I've known in the past. Let me keep growing. I know I'm in second grade, and I know that in second grade, I feel like I know everything about everything. But newsflash, there's fourth grade, and there's eighth grade, and then there's high school where you absolutely know everything, and then there's college where you don't know anything, and then there's life where you're really convinced you don't know everything, okay? Lord, teach us to pray. Growth in prayer comes via a teachable heart. 
Growth in prayer comes via a teachable heart. Maybe you're here and you're like, I don't feel like God is moving in my life. I don't feel like, I feel like my prayer life's getting a little stale. Well, I'm just gonna say we're coming to God's word with a teachable heart saying, teach us, Lord, teach us. Not just the disciples, teach me. Teach me how to pray. Notice then that the disciples asked him to teach them. This may be a bit obvious, but I think it's profound at the same time. They said, Lord, teach us to do children's ministry, to do an awesome sense of discipleship through small group ministry. Lord, teach us how to play electric guitar. What's been said before, I'm not the first person to say this. One of the most unique things about this passage is that this is one of the very few times that the disciples asked something about Jesus' personal life and what he did. They didn't ask him about how to do this or that or this or that. The thing they saw in his life that made the greatest impact and influence was Jesus' prayer life. Now let me pause this for a second. When your kids 10 years from now are looking back on how they've observed your life, as your neighbor observes your life, as your small group friends observe your life, as people in the church observe your life, and most of all, God, but let's just think about humans here. What is the thing that you would want them to most come back and ask you to teach them? I hope someday that my boys come back to me. Say, Dad, we're in our 20s now. Now we know we don't know everything. And then they turn to me and say, but dad, teach us how to pray. Because we want to have a thing with God. Now we've got kids and oh my gosh, what do you do with these little humans? How do I handle these situations? Dad, now I got a job that is not quite paying the bills and and I feel the weight of whatever. and, and, And dad, teach me, teach me to pray. Now I'm not ready to say that that's what would happen in 10 years. But may it be so. And may our lives grow in a passion with prayer for connection with our Heavenly Father that people will look back on our lives. You might be like, well, my life's not, I'm not in a great place. I don't think anybody would come for me for spiritual advice. Well, then you need to pray more than anyone. Because God is not such that he leaves us in the ditch. God is such that he draws us to himself through prayer. And you're gonna, you're gonna be seeing in the text today, listen, it doesn't matter where you start. Prayer is available to everyone. Hi, this is Pastor Luke Aarons from Vertical Church Columbus. Did you know that these Meeting with God messages actually come from sermons given at our church home, Vertical Church Columbus? You know, in addition to hearing God's word proclaimed every week, you'll find a warm, loving church family of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. If you live in Columbus, Ohio, but are not currently connected to a church home, we'd love to invite you to visit us at 1290 Old Henderson Road in Columbus near the intersection of 315 and Henderson Road. Love the verse. We're going to skip ahead just for a second. Look at verse 20. This is the verse that our whole series is being built upon. It's really the center of this text. Jesus had just cast out a demon, and all the people were so wound up. They're like, well, he he can cast out demons, all right, but he's just one of them. That doesn't really make a lot of sense, but that's what they said. But Jesus said, listen, listen, verse 19, but if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, By whom do your sons cast them out? And therefore they will be your judges. But here's the key verse. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. If I'm casting out demons and healing people and doing things by the power of God, by the finger of God, by the presence of God, then God is in this place. And I think we ought to think different. See, I believe that God calls us into lives that are marked 
by the finger of God. Prayer lives that are marked by the finger of God. The kingdom of God advancing. I want to ask you to go back to the beginning of the chapter as I begin to read here now the Lord's Prayer. Uh, If you've read through the Gospels, uh, you would know that there are two versions of the Lord's Prayer. The one in Matthew chapter 6 and then this one here. And for the most part, they're almost exactly the same. And if you want that, I, I trust you. We'd be happy to get you the teaching on the Lord's Prayer. The what of the Lord's Prayer. What am I to pray? But I'm not going to re-preach most of that. But here in this text, the Holy Spirit directed Luke to write a focus not just on what to pray, but on how to pray. Some of us ask, well, what should I pray? What should I ask God and expect to receive? That's in the Lord's Prayer. But Jesus didn't stop there, and Luke records for us some awesome, awesome truth about how I'm to pray. What is the attitude that I'm supposed to bring to prayer? That's what we're going to be looking at. In fact, you can jot this down. Our focus now is on how to pray instead of what to pray. And I'm going to be sprinkling in a review of what to pray uh, as well. But uh, the main driving thing now in this text that we're going to be looking at is how do I pray? Let's look at verse 2. It says, and he said to them, when you pray, which should be frequent, Say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation. If I'll just say this really quickly. If your prayer life, if you don't know really how to pray, or if you do know how to pray, it doesn't really matter. This is the most divinely authored outline of how to pray. One of the things that I've tried to be consistent in in my own life, and I'm just being transparent here, um, I don't always feel like I'm the greatest person in prayer. I feel like I have so much to learn. It's not easy. I'm an action guy, stopping and talking to God for extended period. It's hard. I find that hard sometimes. Sometimes not so much. But one thing that I've consistently tried to do throughout my life is pray through the Lord's Prayer every morning. I did it this morning. When I begin to set my heart, Father, in heaven, it's about relationship. We're going to get into that a bit. Hallowed be your name. Think back to the Ten Commandments. Think about how the emphasis on the name of God being exalted and not dragged through the mud. One of the greatest prayers of my life is that this nation would turn its heart back toward the name of God. That the name of God would be exalted. I don't like listening to sports radio and hearing that. I Sometimes I just I can turn it off. I just hear people using the name of the Lord in vain. Do you know who you're talking about? Clearly you don't. And it says, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. These three words have been burning through my soul this past week. When I think of thy kingdom come, which I preached about last year, there's a focus on the eschatological kingdom. That's a really fancy word for saying Jesus coming back. And we're praying, Jesus, come. How many of us would be really happy if Jesus were president and it was all, and the world was under the authority of Jesus Christ? You're like, I get amen. I mean, pray for our president. No president is perfect, but I'm, I'm voting for Jesus every time. Okay, and there's a longing in our hearts. Jesus, you come. But then there's an element right in this here, and we're gonna be looking more at this. Lord, your kingdom come in the present. Come into my family. Come into my workplace. Your kingdom come in Columbus and in Barbados and everywhere else. Your kingdom come in the spiritual, salvific realm that is 
Come, kingdom of God, now. And that's in this prayer. We'll look more at that. Then it says, give us this day our daily bread. As I've said many times, I have anxieties about finances just like everybody does. And our church takes care of us. I'm not saying that they don't. But I'm just going to say we all have seasons of financial anxiety. People get sick. Things happen. Cars break down. We all know that, right? And I, I have prayed, God, you're, give us this day our daily bread. And I can tell you by faith that we have never wanted for finances through seminary, through transitions, through moves, through church planting. God has always seen fit to provide, sometimes with not a lot of margin, but I have never, and I say that to the glory of God, and many of you could say the same thing. God took me out of a hard season and provided for me, and I'm saying every day, I say, give me, God, this day, my daily bread. I'm not assuming a month from now. I'm not asking for things three years from now. I'll pray about those things, but you promise me that if I pray, give me this day my daily bread, you will provide it, and God has been faithful. Maybe some of you even need to hear that right now. You're in a hard financial situation, and God's saying, reach out to me by faith. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive everyone who's indebted to us. Maybe you've walked in today, and you don't really want everybody else to know what you were doing this week. Maybe you think you're beyond the forgiveness of the eternal God, but you are not. Forgiveness is offered. Then he says, lead us not into temptation. Some of us could think of that as maybe sexual temptation or other bad habits. But I would say it's just as much lead us not into temptation to quit in my marriage or to, or to become fearful of my children or to become, there's many temptations that are tests that would come upon us, uh, but God calls us to reach out to him. Lead us not, Lord, into temptation. Now, that's a very short teaching on God's teaching on prayer. I'm going to ask us to move to verse 5, to the text we're going to primarily focus on this morning. It says, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Now stop here for a moment. I'm gonna, we're going to look at this little story. This story is really setting up a huge piece of how God wants us to reach out to him in prayer. Now this thought of midnight, maybe you're thinking in your head, well they didn't even travel at midnight. They didn't have road lights. They didn't have headlights. They didn't even have cars. They had donkeys. I don't think those donkeys had headlights. Well if you go to the Middle East, actually if there's a full moon, it's actually quite a bit easier to travel at night depending on the terrain because it's much cooler, okay? They didn't have air conditioning. And when the sun is up and it feels like 100 degrees out, you can see where uh, some people would wait till it's getting toward evening and use the cool hours of the night or the morning to travel. And so in this case, this particular friend, and keep in mind they didn't have email, they didn't have telephones, they didn't have texting, they didn't, they didn't have none of that. And so sometimes you might end up with a friend showing up at your house when you didn't think you were having a friend show up at your house. And that's what happens here in this story. Furthermore, if you uh, study the Middle East, shoot, you don't even have to study the Middle East, study America, okay? I grew up in a German family. On occasion, Germans can be nice, okay? We're occasionally warm if the spirit's really leading. For the most part, this is my family, that's your family. It's very different from my wife grew up. She grew up in um, New Mexico, very Hispanic, very friendly, very love, very loud, very party, very love, baby. We, 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 we have a family, and a family is a welcome at any time. That's more Italian, but you know what I'm saying, okay? <laughs> so, okay. That's the setting and the culture of Scripture. So it wasn't a thing to show up at midnight, okay? So this friend shows up, 
and he knocks on the door and he's like, hey, and he's like, whoa, welcome to my casa. And he came in and, and the dude's like, man, I'm hungry. And you can imagine what it's like to travel. And, and, and again, they didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have Taco Bell. They didn't have fourth meal, okay? There was nowhere to run. And if you didn't have bread made in the middle of the night, you didn't have anything to put in front of them. And that's the desperation in a culture of hospitality, which is actually a really good thing. In that culture, there was a code that if somebody shows up, you have the the burden or the responsibility to put food in front of them. And so this host in the text is feeling the burden of and the tension of, I just had this friend show up. He's been traveling all day. He's starving And I have nothing to give him. But if I go to all my neighbors, they're all sleeping. It is midnight. And I'm feeling this tension between I want to, I I absolutely have to take care of my friend. But but, but, but my neighbors, they like me, but they are not going to like me if I come knocking on their door looking for bread. And that is the tension of the story here in the text. If we were to put into modern lingo, we would say that he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. Now look up here for a minute. How many of you would call someone at midnight? There's a few of you. Congratulations for having good friends. Most of us would not call our friends at midnight, let alone knock on their door push the doorbell, ding dong. I mean, have you ever had, I don't know know if I've ever had that happen. If if my neighbors whom I love knocked on my door, I wouldn't even hear it, I'd be asleep. If they rang my doorbell, I would come, I mean, I would, I guess I'd throw, I I don't know what I would look like. My hair would be all over the place. I'd be, I'd come out, I'd think the house is on fire. Because we don't do that, do we? Furthermore, if you're in a young family, I know we have many young families here, uh, you would never want to ring their doorbell because you would do what? You wake up the baby. And, and I, I'm a little removed from that now, but I'm not so removed from being a young parent where you spend two hours, rock-a-bye baby, rock-a-bye baby, baby go to sleep, rock-a-bye baby. Now I want some Cheerios. Okay, get some Cheerios. Rock-a-bye baby, rock-a-bye baby. Will you please go to sleep? Okay, and then you put the baby down and three minutes later the phone rings. You'd be ready. You probably shouldn't answer the phone. It's the answer, okay, right? <laughs> But here is a scenario where this host is stuck between do I go get some bread from my neighbor, wake up him, his dog, his family. And keep in mind, they lived in one-room houses at that time. And they had one bed, typically. So if you wake up one person, you're not only waking up him, his wife, and his kids, and the dog. You might be waking up the whole neighborhood. Now think about the tension here. You ever been in a situation like that where it doesn't matter what I do, it's going to be awkward? That's what we say. Well, it even confirms it here. Look at verse 7 with me. Jesus finishes the question. He says, and, and he, the person from within, will answer within, do not bother me. The door is shut and my children are with me in bed. Thanks for waking them up. I cannot get up and give you anything. That's what we would expect the response to be. I love you, but I don't like you. Get away from me. He says, do not bother me. Do not inconvenience me. Do not irritate me. Do not annoy me. Go away. 
Now, I want you to picture in your mind with me that young parent I just described. Some of you are that young parent, but you remember back to when you were a young parent if you don't remember right now. And you remember that desperate feel of, I've, I've slept an average of about four hours, and they haven't been four straight, actually. They've been mixed in four hours over the last 24 hours, and I've just got my kids to bed, and you are doing what to wake me up? Imagine that frustrated, tired, weary, crazy face saying, don't bother me. Now, some of us, some of us, when we think of our Heavenly Father, that's kind of who we think we're going to. I don't want to be that person that rocks the boat and says, God, I need something, because he's like running the whole universe. And I don't want to be asking for things that maybe aren't necessary. I'm not sure if it's necessary, but I for sure don't want to rock the boat. That's what we would call, though we think of it as truth, I would call it a caricature, a caricature. And some of us, actually all of us, probably carry some of this distortion into our prayer lives. And God wants us to get rid of the caricature and embrace who he really is so that we will pray as he wants us to pray. Thank you so much for listening to Meeting with God, the radio ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus, Ohio. Vertical Church exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission and the spirit of the Great Commandment by making disciples of Jesus Christ. If you live in Columbus and currently do not have a church home, we would love to invite you to worship with us. Our worship services meet at our church home at 1290 Old Henderson Road. Our church family is warm, loving, and would be so happy to meet you. If you currently do not have a place to worship this weekend, would you join us? As always, thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next week for your Meeting with God. Meeting with God is the teaching ministry of Vertical Church Columbus. For more information, go to verticalchurch.life.